Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so this week, I actually pushed the Fifth Circuit, that's Michael Cargill, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, to block a rule created under President Donald Trump's administration that banned bump stocks that make semi-automatic firearms fire in rapid succession. So that's right. We actually finally got this case to go before the Fifth Circuit. We're hoping to make it to the Supreme Court. That's going to be Michael Cargill versus uh, the Department of Justice, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And this case was heard uh, and it was actually presented by my attorneys and heard by 16 active judges on the appeals court to reverse a decision by three of its judges upholding the ban, which took effect back in March of 2019. The ban was instituted by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives in response to the 2017 Las Vegas massacre in which an armed sniper used a bump stock to kill 60 people. Uh, my attorney at the New Civil Liberties Alliance, a group representing myself, Michael Cargill, told the uh, we, we 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 presented our case before uh, the Fifth Circuit. And the matter at issue is not the Second Amendment, but whether bump stocks qualify as illegal machine guns under federal law. As a general matter, uh, my attorney said that the case is not about gun control, uh, according to my attorney who who actually presented this case. Uh, Rich Samp, uh, he's a lawyer for the who, who actually argued the case for a new civil liberties alliance and myself. Uh, the case is about who writes the laws in this country. The Constitution says that Congress writes the law and it's not the business of administrative agencies to rewrite the law to serve political purposes. So President Joe Biden's administration has defended the bump stock ban and it has no so far survived legal challenges at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's actually survived challenges at the Tenth and D.C. Circuit. However, the Sixth Circuit decision in December split eight by eight on the vote. Uh, the closest the ban has come to being overturned 
meanwhile, the Supreme Court itself has rebuffed petitions to review the case twice, despite a three-judge panel on the Fifth Circuit previous decisions to rule in favor of the ban. The full court agreed to hear new arguments Tuesday. So and this happened this past, you know, this past week, which was Tuesday, you know, the beginning of September. Now, during the hearing, some judges suggested the potential of, of waiting on further Supreme Court action in, in, in other cases. But those other cases haven't had their day in court. They're just being heard on some of the merits of the case. The only case that actually has had a trial is Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice and has made it all the way up to the, uh, to the Fifth Circuit and we're waiting for a decision here, and then hopefully we will win our decision here and then make it to the Supreme Court. Justice Department Attorney Mark Stern argued the key issue that upholds the ATF's rule is the action of someone shooting a firearm with a bump stock attachment. According to Mark Stern, he says, you only have to do one thing. Stern uh, said this. He said, your trigger finger isn't doing anything other than sitting still. Well, the U.S. government has also argued that the ATF is right in its interpretation of federal law to support the ban by Supreme Court's 1984 ruling in Chevron USA uh, versus Natural Resources Defense Council. Now, which held that courts will give an agency difference in ambiguous situations so long as interpretation is reasonable. Now, I have appealed to the Fifth Circuit, and, and my lawsuit comes at a time when the Supreme Court has shown favorability to gun-related issues that land before the justices' docket. Now, this summer, Justice Rule 63, along conservative liberal ideology, lines that New York cannot demand gun owners provide a justification when applying for a concealed carry permit. So we're hoping that we will get a same favorable decision before the Supreme Court. But right now, I want you to listen in on the hearing that we heard earlier this month of September with the Fifth Circuit with Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. Cargill versus Garland. Mr. Samp. May it please the court, my name is Richard Samp. I'm here on behalf of the appellant, Mr. Cargill. At issue here is whether a bump stock is a machine gun as defined by federal law, a definition that has been unchanged for decades. A bump stock is a device that can be attached to semi-automatic weapons. And it's just several pieces of plastic and a little bit of rubber. It has no mechanical parts whatsoever. From 2006 until 2017, the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives said that these bump stocks were not machine guns as defined by federal law. In 2018, the federal government reversed course. President Trump said he would like the ATF to rethink its position, and it complied. And it is now said that they are machine guns. We submit that ATF's prior definition, the longstanding one, is the correct one. The uh, definition of machine gun is, is a contained in 26 U.S.C. section 5845B, and that statute says, uh, somewhat abbreviatedly, that a uh, machine gun is a weapon that can uh, fire more than one shot automatically by a single function of the trigger. Those two terms, as far as we're concerned, are relatively clear. The uh, 
uh, government has been coming up with uh, new synonyms for those words from time to time, and, and we don't find those objectionable. But the, we do object to the government then jumping to the conclusion that after applying those new synonyms that a bump stock is a, uh, uh, is a machine gun. And we'd like to make four principal points today. First of all, we ask that the statute be read as a whole. Uh, the government continually uh, pulls out individual words from the statute, and, and we think that that distorts its meaning. A single pull of a semi-automatic weapon, even one that has a bump stock attached, will, require, will result in a single shot. To produce a second shot, the shooter must do something more. That something more is considerable manipulations with both of his hands. He must push forward with his non-shooting hand. He must pull back with his shooting finger or shooting hand. And we submit that under those circumstances, producing a second shot does not occur automatically because automatically generally means that something functions as a result of the action that, that uh, it's prescribed. In Does this case, it hurt? Oh, I'm sorry. Is this uninterrupted time? Yeah. If I could have about five minutes and then and go right ahead. Uh, secondly, we think that a uh, uh, there really is not any difference whether or not a bump stock is attached. A semi-automatic weapon can fire, can be bump fired with or without a bump stock. and. Yet, the, uh, it is well agreed that a semi-automatic weapon is not a machine gun. The mechanism is exactly the same even when a bump stock is attached. And we think that that uh, failure of the government to distinguish, to come up with a meaningful distinction between uh, a, a semi-automatic with and without a bump stock uh, is fatal to its current interpretation of the statute. Third. The uh, bump stocks are readily distinguishable from automatic weapons. An automatic weapon, you can set it up on a tripod, take one finger, pull the trigger back and hold it, and it will continue firing until the uh, weapon runs out of ammunition. On the other hand, with a uh, bump stock attached to an, a, a semi-automatic weapon, the, uh, there will not be more than one shot and uh, less considerable action beyond just pulling the trigger occurs. Finally, we don't think the statute is ambiguous and neither does the government, but if the court ends up deciding, as several courts of appeals have, that the statute is ambiguous, we uh, think that under the rule of lenity, any ambiguity ought to be construed in our client's favor. The government has conceded that it lacks jurisdiction to uh, lack statutory authority to adopt a uh, legislative rule and therefore says that this is an interpretive rule. Uh, secondly, it has waived the application of any sort of, of uh, Chevron deference so that even if this were a legislative rule, Chevron deference would not apply. Thirdly, uh, Chevron deference the Supreme Court has held is inapplicable when it comes to criminal statutes. And uh, 
uh, so that really we, there is no need to apply Chevron deference, no call to apply it. And even if it did apply, the rule of lenity takes preference over uh, Chevron deference. And with that, I would welcome questions from the court. We come back from the break. More of the Fifth Circuit case, Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. And we're back. Let's listen back in on the court case. Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. One of the... the uh, uh major points that the government likes to make is that uh, 1934 definitions of the words automatically and uh, function um, comply fully with the, the uh, uh, definitions that the, the government has adopted. It, it at one point said that uh, uh, a function of the trigger is the same as the pull of a trigger, and it now has changed that, and it says a function of the trigger is equivalent to a pull of the trigger uh, plus any analogous motions. <clears throat> and we, we really have no problem with that whatsoever. They also argue that the word automatically is, should be defined based on 1934 definitions as uh, being the same as self-acting or self-regulating. And again, we have no problem with that. What we do not agree with, however, is that by adding a bump stock to a semi-automatic weapon, somehow the uh, firing sequence becomes either self-acting or self-regulating. The one function that a bump stock assists with, it assists a shooter in managing the recoil of the, of the uh, uh, weapon. It is, if without a bump stock, it perhaps will not uh, recoil in exactly the same manner every time, and it becomes more difficult to sustain bump firing without the bump stock. Counsel, do you, agree? I'm over here. Do you, 
the, the opinion of the court, the panel opinion says in footnote 12 that Cargill does not argue that Congress cannot outlaw bump stocks. That's, that's correct. You're not taking the position that Congress cannot outlaw bump stocks. That is correct. And in fact, 12 states in the country have outlawed bump stocks. And that has been one of our principal points all along, is that this uh, defining crimes like this are a legislative function. And uh, we don't see the Second Amendment as being implicated by this case at all. And do you concede that the Aikens accelerator is a machine gun, spring-aided, mechanical? The government yes. says you do concede that. Uh, I'm not an expert on the Aikens accelerator, but, but my impression is that yes, it is a machine gun. And the reason is that you don't need to put forward pressure on the Aikens accelerator. A Aikens accelerator was a was the earliest version of a bump stock. It has an internal spring so that the the recoil of a weapon is automatic. That's caused by basic physics. And then there's no need to push forward because the spring pushes it forward. And that pushing forward of the uh, of the uh, uh, rifle uh, causes the the uh, the trigger itself to push forward and it bumps into automatically into the finger of uh, of the shooter and so uh, as i understand an aikens accelerator it is a a machine gun and i think that it, it the aikens accelerator well uh, illustrates why the bump stocks at issue here are not machine guns because uh, it does require following the automatic recoil of the weapon the shooter must push forward with the fore end of the rifle, pull back on the the uh, on the, the trigger grip or with or, or the trigger uh, ledge itself, and that is what uh, causes the the uh, trigger. And you're saying that has to happen each time another shot is fired. There has to be some movement by the shooter in order to affect a second, a third, and a fourth shot. Because That's correct. Shot, there has to be a movement. That's correct. Every single shot, he must do that. Now, he must do what? Excuse me? Between every single shot, he must do what? He must, uh, when the recoil causes the gun to go back, causes his arm to go back, he must push it back forward every time. He also must pull back with this hand in order to, uh, to allow the the uh, trigger finger to make contact with the trigger that is coming forward because of pushing forward with his hand. Well, you say, counsel, that he has to make that movement. My understanding is this, and, and you're going to correct me, I have no doubt, is that basically when the shooter sets his or her stance and is making the motions forward with one hand, backwards uh, with the other, fires the trigger, all that's necessary is for that shooter to maintain his stance or her stance. He's not doing all of this, he's just staying still, isn't he? The shooter, uh, it's not an easy process. Uh, the witness who... Well, just, I mean, maybe that's what, where you're headed, but let me tell you, is there any muscular action other than maintaining the stance when the, the uh, triggers pull the first time? Thereafter, isn't the shooter just maintaining that constant pressure both directions with the finger in that location and, and the firing goes on. There is, sounds there is sort considerable of muscular pressure and it is extremely tiring to maintain 
constantly going there's forward. There's not new motion. It's not an easy process. Well, I'm not saying it's easy or hard, but there's not new motion every time, new physical reaction other than maintaining the pressures that were there when the firing first began. I would say that it is, uh, to a certain extent, instinctual. It happens relatively fast. So the shooter has to train himself to be able to keep his finger uh, uh, trigger finger motionless and to make sure that, that his arm can keep going like this, he's probably not thinking about it, oh, I better push it again because it happens very, very quickly. But does but it, it still requires... Does it require a physical act by the shooter? Is that what's triggering it? Or is it simply whether the trigger itself is being impacted by one thing or another? I'm not, in other words, I'm not sure why the statute would require the shooter themselves to be doing something as opposed to something happening to the, to the trigger? Uh, the, the reason why it's important in our minds that the uh, shooter has to be doing something is the word automatically. The, what the statute says is you begin with a single function of the trigger. If a single function of the trigger then sets in motion an automatic process, then the, uh, then I guess the point I'm trying to make is something has to happen to the trigger, whether it's shooter-oriented or some, some other device. Right. Imagine, I, imagine what somebody invented a robot that caused the, the trigger to be uh, uh, pulled multiple times. All the shooter has to do is one single button and it turns on the robot, but the robot is triggering it multiple times. Right. Is that a machine gun? I assume your answer would be no. No, that, uh, that is a machine gun, and that is what this court held in the Camp case. That uh, in the Camp case, there was a single push of a switch or a button, and there was a, a motorized mechanism in the gun that then caused the trigger mechanically to, without anybody doing anything with the trigger, to the trigger moved back and forward by forth by itself, and that was held correctly, in our view, to be a machine gun, because uh, one pull of the trigger, one function of the trigger, then caused all of these things to happen. And, and the mere fact that the trigger continued to move, uh, the court held, was, was not uh, relevant to the analysis. It was still a machine gun because it was all happening automatically. It's the automatic firing of successive shots. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. The automatic firing of successive shots, one after another. Right. Automatic. Right. If it's automatic, it's a machine gun. That's not what and, the statute I'm sorry, I didn't hear his I'm sorry. No, I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I said that's not what the statute says. It says automatically more than one shot by a single function of the trigger. The hypothetical that you were talking about with Judge Ho sounded like multiple functions of the trigger that were activated by a button. It suggests that's a distinction, I think, that's in the text of the statute. Okay, in that particular case, they were referring to the button as the trigger. Well, but why is that correct? The statute doesn't say a button. It says a single function of the trigger. Um, I would think that the word trigger uh, has been broadly uh, construed by a number of courts of appeals, including the Court of Appeals. Traditionally, we think of a trigger as a, a lever that can be pushed forward and or, or uh, pulled, uh, and uh, in, in those circumstances then uh, uh, then yes if the uh, if uh, the shooter must uh, 
do repeated functions of that trigger or it, it repeatedly functions, then it is not a, a machine gun. But in the Camp case, the court defined a trigger to be uh, the actual switch that you pushed. And, and I, I think that that is fair to to uh, provide a, a relatively broad definition. That was okay. Counsel, I, oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I, I'm over here. Um, I do think there is a good argument that the focus is on the human and not others as to whether that's automatic, whether it's a machine gun, whether it's not. I'm trying to just understand, you've had this conversation um, with Judge Southwick. If I'm holding this rifle and I do the first shot holding down on the front, holding on the trigger, and I don't move after that, does it keep shooting or not? It's not possible to not move because your arm is always going to come back with the recoil. You have to then put... Well, that's true with rifles in general. Excuse me? That's true with rifles in general. That's correct. Yeah, okay, but what I'm saying is I'm not doing... This, this hand that's not the trigger hand, does it have to do... You keep going like that. Do I have to go like that, or can I just hold on tight? If you held on tight... And, the, and you prevented any recoil, I'm not sure that it would be an easy thing to do, but if you could do that, the gun would only fire once. We come back from the break. More of the Fifth Circuit case, Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. And we're back. Let's listen back in on the court case, Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. So, counsel, assuming arguing, so, I mean, there's a dispute as to whether or not it even matters whether there's human motion whether that's required or not. But assuming arguendo that human motion is required, in order for the, for the weapon to, to fire again, the shooter must apply forward pressure. It may occur quickly, but do you agree that the shooter is not maintaining stationary and trying to bulk himself up in the hypothetical that Judge Haynes was presenting? Instead, they are applying forward pressure. And whether that happens almost, um, I don't want to use the word automatically, but whether that happens very quickly and, and more naturally in human motion, it is the human that is moving forward. That is correct. That is human action that is required. And I believe that that human action, in addition to pulling back um, with the trigger hand is what makes it, this not automatically. Now, I also agree that uh, with a semi-automatic weapon, you do have to have multiple functions of the trigger. And so I, I agree, Judge Duncan, with the point that you're making. But the way I heard your description, it sounded like the recoil forces the arm to move in one direction or the other. In other words, a shot's fired and there's recoil. And That's the correct. arm moves based on the recoil. That's correct. So then the shooter actually has to do something to not have what normally happens happen. Because what normally happens is there's recoil, and the shooter reacts to the recoil. That's, that's natural. That's normal. So the shooter has to do something against the norm in order to have this weapon continue firing the shots. That's correct, and that's why this is not a machine gun. It doesn't happen automatically. Instead, he has to take these additional But if my actions. arm normally goes back, unless I do something to make sure it doesn't normally go back, it's going to normally go back when I fire that first shot, and then all the shots that come after that are just going to happen. Right. It, nor, I don't it, have to do anything else except the first If it comes back and you don't do anything else, there's only one shot. If it comes back and you're not pushing forward, that's the end of the process. You have to be pushing back this way and holding back with this arm. Mr. Sam, um, since you're embracing the camp decision that it's not a look at whether the trigger's bouncing, it's the shooter's single action or not, um, my question is whether, since... Judge Ezra, as I understand, has military experience. He had a trial. He heard expert evidence. On all these questions you're getting about exactly push, pill, pull, do we have any assistance from the trial record in this case? Well, the trial record in this case, first of all, includes the administrative record. And as the government has repeatedly insisted, the administrative record is controlling in this APA case. And the uh, uh, ATF has thoroughly explained how uh, the the uh, uh, process takes place, and we really don't disagree with how it was described there. We do think that Judge Ezra made one mistake in his finding when he seemed to think that it was the recoil that caused the uh, trigger to bump into the trigger finger. Instead, the recoil separates the, the uh, uh, trigger and the trigger finger, and it is only because of pushing back this way after the recoil that the, that the uh, trigger and the trigger finger come together. Did you raise that mistake anywhere until your reply brief on the en banc? We did not directly uh, 
uh, raise it, but we think that there are enough other findings in the district uh, uh, court that basically contradict that finding because the uh, the district court repeatedly said that uh, uh, he agreed that it required uh, uh, two hands to operate this. That uh, uh, and in fact, the, Mr. Smith, the expert witness at trial, explicitly said that it requires two hands to operate it. And that, and he explicitly said in his testimony that uh, uh, that the recoil separates the trigger and the trigger finger. So we were uh, relying on all of the, the findings of fact. I, I don't think that that one finding of fact is determinative. But we, we do if, think the, if the Supreme Court um, grants cert in the pending petitions from the Sixth Circuit and the Tenth Circuit and the Lackley petition from the DC circuit, should we proceed or should we pause? I would suggest you would proceed. The, the cases that are before the court right now, uh, first of all, they are both on a, a, a preliminary injunction stage. They are not uh, final decisions the way this one is. Uh, secondly, they are much more focused on the Chevron issue than this one is. Here, both the district judge and the panel said that, that they didn't find any ambiguity. Uh, the uh, uh, cert petitions, both from the Sixth Circuit and from the Tenth Circuit, uh, point out that uh, uh, that Chevron deference was applied and should not have been, so that the court might well decide the cases by saying that, uh, uh, that the lower courts improperly applied Chevron and then they would remand for further uh, action in the case. So I, I'm not sure there's any reason for a pause. We, we still, at the end of the day, need a decision as to what this particular statute means. Could you quickly address your second area argument on lenity? Yes, the rule of lenity is a long-standing issue of uh, long-standing uh, canon of statutory construction. And uh, uh, it uh, applies in any criminal context. Uh, the uh, um, Supreme Court, in its Chevron case, said that Chevron deference only applies after all other statutes, all other canons of statutory interpretation are applied. And uh, one regularly applied canon is lenity. And so, therefore, it ought to come before the application of Chevron. And, and indeed, in several recent cases, both Abramsky uh, uh, and uh, one other appell, uh, the Supreme Court has said that Chevron should have absolutely no application uh, in the context of criminal statute. But it would come only if we determined there was some ambiguity contrary to what y'all are arguing. Right. We don't believe the statute is ambiguous, and this is simply a backup argument if you, if you uh, uh, find ambiguity. Thank you very much. I would like to reserve five minutes. May it please the court, Mark Stern for the government, and I'm happy to take questions, obviously, on any uh, concerns that the court has, but a lot of the discussion um, with my friend on the other side has focused on the issue of the automatic nature of the firearm. And I think, I want to make clear, I'm not personally a firearms expert. However, <coughs> the district court judge not only had the benefit of the administrative record, but conducted an evidentiary hearing and ultimately 
I would just suggest that where the court has, you know, questions, you know, might legitimately be occurring that record is, you know, and the district court's conclusions about that record, you know, would be of great assistance. But just to sort of clarify, like in the sort of broad terms, the like the whole point of the bump stock really is to allow a shooter to fire. You know, I'm just going to use automatically, not you know, in a specialized sense, just like in the sort of normal usage. That's the whole point of the bump stock. That's why you get a bump stock is to allow you to do this, and it functions by you don't do anything with your trigger finger after the firing is initiated. The trigger finger sits on a ledge, and as the district court said, you could just replace like that finger with a rod, right? So it's but just whatever it is. It, the statute says single function of the trigger. The trigger still has to engage, right? Yes, the trigger moves back and forth, Your Honor. Say the finger. It says the trigger. That's right, Your Honor. And what the I mean, again, to sort of, you know, counsel, I think, has correctly acknowledged that this court's decision in camp addressed that and addressed it correctly, and the and also recognizes that the 11th Circuit properly sustained the classification of the Aikens accelerator, which also, like, involved the trigger going back and forth. And when you look back to the sort of how this sort of all came into being and the colloquies with the head of the National Rifle Association at the time, as well as the plain dictionary meanings at the time, what's clear is that, and here's where the word pull and function start to get used somewhat interchangeably. They're going, does it like work so that like you do one thing that triggers like the sequence. And then after that, the sequence has to be automatic. But the first question is, do you only have to do one thing? And that's what the entire discussion like was sort of back and forth and trying to figure out what a machine gun was. And they didn't use the word like pull, which would be narrower. They used the word function. But the point that's relevant here is that that's what they're talking about function. It's like, like it's the function to it once. That's it. It starts off the firing. Then you come to like, so is that like, does that then trigger automatic firing? So the answer there is, yeah, you're holding, you know, and again, <laughs> I'm an expert and I'm also a bad actor. So you would be holding like the firearm. I mean, I have tried it, so, but I'm still good at it. The, you simply are holding it and you're pushing forward. Your, your, your trigger figure isn't doing anything other than sitting still. And you're just, you continue to main, a, maintain a continuous pressure. Does like your hand, like, does that jolt you back and forth a little bit? That arm? Yes, it certainly does. But you're not sort of forcibly taking it back and forth. Like you're maintaining a continuous pressure. And it sort of boils down to an argument that if you have to do anything else other than press the trigger, then it can't be automatic. We come back from the break. More of the Fifth Circuit case, Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. 
Hi, this is Stephen Williford, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Tecovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tecovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico. And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread, who have just launched their new recipe using heart healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. All with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at HERO.CO. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at HERO.CO. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. And we're back. Let's listen back in on the court case, Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. Mr. Uh, Stern, don't you have to at least react once for each shot? The trigger has to shoot once. It has to move for for every single bullet. And your arm has to move for every single bullet, right? Well, I mean, I guess sort of in physical terms, like a reaction has a reaction to keep it, but like it doesn't move very much. It's not like you're like well, did maintaining the gov- that pressure all the time. Well, did the government introduce any evidence to show that it was only a modicum of pressure, virtually no pressure, as opposed to uh, a lot of strength or 
Well, the ATF expert, I mean, I can't remember exactly what was said, but the ATF expert, and again, this is obviously my characterizations are not what's crucial. It's what's like in the administrative record and what was before the district court. But the ATF expert sort of like elaborated and more fully explained exactly how it works and the kind of pressure that you need to put to it. And the district court asked all the questions that are relevant to making that determination. So I just ask the court to look at that and because I mean that's really so like really like and it can't be conceptually that it's just if you have to do something else other than press the original trigger I mean even on the machine gun you have to keep holding the trigger back for it to continue the fight but it's, same, but it's still one trigger engagement one bullet whereas an automatic weapon is Trigger goes back and all the bullets keep going out until automatically until it stopped. Right, I agree. My only point was that, like, if you let go, I mean, and this is why, like, it's does the single function set off a automatic chain that keeps going until the like shooter like basically sort of does something to stop it, usually by releasing the pressure, and it's going to be releasing the pressure like you take your finger off the trigger in the traditional model, here you like stop exerting the forward pressure. And the, the I'm sorry. Well, I do have a question. I didn't know it was that obvious. I was waiting for you to finish. Uh, Mr. Stern, uh, sympathy for your position, but part as much as anything that concerns me is the statute. It's not talking about the trigger finger and one pull of the tra uh, trigger finger. It says single function of the trigger, and some of my colleagues' questions and, and your friend on the other side are all talking about how the trigger has to keep being engaged. Now, the re-engagement may be automatic. I'm, I might allow you that, but there's still a re-engagement of the trigger for each firing. So we got to make that fit for your position into the sense of it still being automatic. So focusing on the statutory language, that it's a single function of the trigger. How do you make that work when you have however many shots there were, there's that many pulls on the trigger? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of ways, Your Honor. I mean, one, I mean, D.C. Circuit in its recent, like Weddy's opinion, was focusing in part on the use of the word by. It's like what happens, it's triggered by a single function of the trigger. And I thought that was a useful way of looking at it. And again, if we sort of go back to think of sort of like when you know the concept, you know, as it was like used, was a single pull, and that's what they're interested in is does one thing start up, and that's what this court said in camp, where it goes, okay, there's just one like the trigger kept going back and forth in camp, like it, but you only did one thing to start it. And similarly, in like Flashley, the Seventh Circuit case, and the. For example, if you had a button that you needed to hold in, like all the time, while in order to keep it automatic, I mean, sort of you generally have to flip a switch to take the semi-automatic to make it automatic, but if you had to hold that switch up 
while you were pressing your finger back on the traditional machine gun, does that stop making it, stop making it a machine gun? I think the answer is no, and Judge Gibbon, I think, was right in um, her 11th of her Sixth Circuit observation where you go, look, that would allow, that kind of thing would allow sort of very minor, like allow people just by making sort of minor additional things that you needed to do, taking a gun that was like really automatic and sort of going, well, I have to also hold in that button so it's not automatic anymore. And we don't think that that comports with any understanding like of automatic. And we think that the, I'm sorry, Your Honor, we think that the agency's like, you know, um, de you know definition, you know, is, is the correct one and its application here is correct. We think you know, the district court decision is, you know, very careful in which the panel made, you know, sort of extensive reference, you know, to that decision. And again, I think that's, I mean, conceptually, I think it really is important to, like, like recognize that, that the inquiry just can't really turn on, like, just does the trigger go back and forth. Mr. Stern. I can't it. I'm sorry, you go ahead with your question. I well, I want to follow up on Judge Southwick's question. This case, like many statutory interpretation cases, comes down to what statute did Congress write? I mean, I think in one of the, in one of the decisions, circuit decisions, there's a diagram of the sentence and a footnote, and I won't ask you to go through that because I didn't like diagramming sentences either. But I got two questions. The first one is the subject of this sentence. Do you agree that it is weapon? It's not shooter. So such that what we're concerned about here is the mechanism of the weapon and how it functions and not what the shooter does. I mean, it's the, I mean, goes, whether it's fired automatic, it can fire automatically more than one shot. Well, it's a weapon which a single shoots. function. A weapon which shoots automatically. Right. Not a shooter who does oh, no, no, that's weapon right, which Honor. shoots. Oh, no, we're obviously talking about, I mean, we're not banning shooters, we're banning weapons. Okay, great. And then the second question is the automatically part. The automatically is tied to by a single function of the trigger. So if the weapon shoots automatically by something other than a single function of a trigger, then it is not a machine gun. Do you agree with that? No. Why not? I think that it has to be that the, that it's like that the, well, let me clarify, I think I spoke too quickly. It's not that the, what you don't need is simply to hold in the trigger and do nothing else. If the initial, whole function of the trigger is essential to starting it out. And that's what this court said, recognized in camp, and I, I will, like, and in the Aikens classification, which is that you start it with a single function, and then you go, is what happens by that single function an automatic sequence? And that's where my friend and I disagree. But isn't, I don't understand your reliance on the Aikens Accelerator, because I'm, I'm looking at the rule that the ATF wrote in the Aikens Accelerator case, and it says, quote, removal and disposal of the internal spring would render the device a non-machine gun under the statutory definition. So obviously there's no internal spring here. I don't understand what the Aikens Accelerator has to do with this. 
I mean, what it has to do, I mean, you're absolutely right, Your Honor, that this is, like, that this, you know, this is a change, right? The agency revisited that part of its conclusion. The part of that is common to the Aikens accelerator and to the bump stock here is the fact trigger continues to move back and forth in both example, like in both cases. The difference is that you didn't have to maintain the same forward pressure with the Aikens accelerator. But in terms of the trigger mechanism, that starting out, that's that's the same. Can I follow up on one question that Judge Morgan and Judge Southwick have asked, which is that in camp, the, the court focuses on the statutory definition and says, we have to look at the word trigger. It's the most important part of the, of the text. And the court points out that there is no statutory definition of the word trigger. And a lot of these cases hinge on what is the trigger. What is the government's view of what is the trigger in a bump stock? The trigger. The trigger. So and it's the trigger that is manually going back and forth. The trigger is going back and forth. It's not the forend. The, the forward pressure on the forend of the gun. The forward pressure is what you need to do to maintain the automatic sequence. But, but for the government's view of the statutory definition of the single function of the trigger, we look at what everyone in, in the room would understand to be the trigger. That is, the in, in this case, yes. You just like you, find, you begin it like like that, and then you hold for forward. So it all boils down to you know again is is does that like does the fact that you have to maintain the forward pressure make it like something other than a automatic. You, you earlier called Judge Ezra's, I think you called it careful, his careful opinion. And there was a finding in his opinion that all semi-automatic semi rifles can be bump fired without a bump stock, without a belt loop or some other device. Do you agree with that? That all semi-automatic rifles can be bump fired without a bump stock or some other device? Um, in general, yes, I can't attest to all bump, but yes, I mean, you can, you can bump fire as a technique, sort of, it's, you know, it's a way of firing a gun. It's like, it, like it's not, that really does not but, initiate well, an automatic bump firing, why is bump firing with a bump stock automatic, while bump firing without a bump stock is not automatic? Um, well, that's where, like, the experts do a better job than I do, but the, the basic idea is that when it harnesses, like, the recoil, all you really need to do is to maintain that constant forward pressure. When you're just doing it with a bump, like, just bump firing, the recoil can go in any direction. You, to, like, maintain, like, pressure, like, so that you have to keep, like, rewriting it, you have to put in, like, all the work that the bump stock is doing for you isn't being done. You now have to do all of that work yourself. And in a lot of, like, in various, like, firearms, can you start, can a really skilled, talented, like, shooter start to mimic what a machine gun does? I mean, there's one, like, shooter um, who's always sighted who, like, sort of can take any automatic gun, and he's so good, like, he can basically get off as many shots, sort of, like, as a machine gun does just by going like that with his finger. But that doesn't mean that, like, like, that that like firearm, like is not a semi-automatic weapon just because, you know, that
We come back from the break. More of the Fifth Circuit case, Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. We're back, and you've been listening to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals case in New Orleans with Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is a case where we're arguing the bump stock ban. We're saying, hey, bump stocks are not a machine gun. We're arguing the definition. We're also saying that the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, cannot regulate. They can't, they can't actually create law. They can only interpret law. So, and, and what we're saying is, hey, ATF, Congress, Congress, it's Congress' job to actually write law. Listen in on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals case. Let me ask you, uh, am I stepping on somebody else? Uh, uh, my colleague, Judge Willard, asked a friend on the other side about the uh, cases pending on cert from other circuits representing that, uh, I'm sure accurately from his viewpoint, that they focused a lot on Chevron. Would you agree with that? Do, do you see a fair possibility those cases will not are both heavily uh, soaking with Chevron deference, and that may be all the big court decides? I mean, it's hard for me to, I mean... To, you know, I mean, is the premise right, but both of those cases are focused heavily on Chevron? They did, and it's, I mean, I think that that it's unclear what the court would do if it took the case. In theory, maybe it would resolve the Chevron question, but then built into the decisions, those courts are saying, well, I need Chevron, like, in order to rule for the government. So the court would have to stop at sort of, like, okay, I'll, I'll resolve that, but then, like, have it sent back. And I, I sort of... I'd have to, I can't remember what the questions presented are, but if the court grants cert, and presumably we'll know that relatively near future, we can see what questions they granted cert on, and that ought to, I think, like well, make that point clearer. But a little more pointedly, I assume the government was asked to file, I haven't read the cert, the cert filings, the government was asked to respond to the petitions? Yes. Did the government disavow Chevron, or did it say, yes. as it's taking the position here, that the statute is uh, is uh, plain? Yes, it's the same position. So the government is being consistent? Yes. Well, it seems to me that would be a big uh, uh, th uh, threshold issue that the court would have to go over before they'd get to Chevron. Um, it, it might. I mean, we've urged that if the court you know, I mean, we've urged with the same thing that we're urging with this court, that it should conclude that the definition but, is the I best mean, definition. I have a, I have a, the, the ATF took the position for well over a decade that a bump stock was not a machine gun, correct? Um, that's correct. Well, how do you say that statutory language that hasn't changed can be black for 10 years and then it's white. Because you make a mistake. I mean, the courts, like, change their views of what a statute means. The fact that you have to do interpretive work and can make a mistake in deciding a statute doesn't mean that, like, it 
that there isn't a... When was the last time ATF conceded that it made a mistake? The Aikens Accelerator. <laughs> they might have done it since then. Um, but, but, I mean, look in, like, say, look in the Edelman versus Lynchburg case where the Supreme Court goes, look, I'm not, like, I don't need to consider whether Chevron, like, is necessary because we agree, like, that the agency is the best definition. And then it drops a footnote saying, by the way, that doesn't mean that it was the only permissible definition either. And all we're saying is, like, that the court, like, reviews, like, de novo. What, what, what's the standard of review here? It's not a mistake. When, when the ATF comes out with a criminal's, you know, this is a criminal statute, and it said for 10 years it means one thing, and then in a rulemaking says, oh, it means another, the, the, the standard of review, I don't think, for us, is a mistake, is it? No, it's the, the question is, what does the current... But... <laughs> I guess, I mean, we, this record does present us with that uh, Attorney General Barr giving it a hard second look after the Las Vegas massacre, 60 people, 800 injured. Um, so we can disagree about whether they should have given a second look and whether they should reinterpret. But one thing that's always perplexed me about this case, and you know I was on the panel, is this issue comes up all the time in state case law, I would think, in terms of virtually every state bans machine guns. And for example, Texas uses the identical language, practically the identical language as the federal ban. Um, do you know of any state court that has reviewed a conviction that has adopted the mechanistic interpretation to say this is legally insufficient for a conviction or it triggers the rule of lenity? That's I'm, my first question, yep, but just so you know both, if you can remember. Yeah. I think I'm correct that the converters that are being used now are actually moving away from bump stocks. They're these little plastic switches. Yeah. Um, do you know of any convictions or case law that would assist us saying that new mechanistic conversion is or isn't a machine gun? Those are my two questions. I'm not aware of any, Your Honor. We can, you know, I'm happy, like, when we get back to Washington, I'll check with ATF to make sure that, you know, and get back to the court if we find, like, any. Um, I'm, I'm just not, like, I'm not aware. Not aware of either. I'm not aware of either. Right. But I, I will also say I have not, like, like I don't, we have not researched that question, so I don't want to represent that the fact that I don't know it, like, means anything other than that. Though I, I think I would have known, but, you know, but I'm going to double check to make sure. I'm happy to answer any more questions. The court's been very generous with its time, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. We come back from the break. More of the Fifth Circuit case, Michael Cargill versus Department of Justice. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. And we're back. Let's listen back in on the court case, Michael Cargill versus the Department of Justice. Counsel for the government uh, seemed to suggest that more than just pulling the trigger is required to, to uh, make a automatic weapon continue to fire, that you need to continue to hold the trigger. And uh, 
our position, as we spelled out in our brief, is that basically pulling and holding the trigger is a single action. That's essentially what uh, the uh, uh, Supreme Court held in the Staples case. The uh, ATF basically takes that uh, same position. There is a type of trigger called a binary trigger, which if you pull the trigger, you get one shot. If you let it go, that's a second shot. ATF has consistently said that that is not a uh, uh, machine gun, and that is because pulling and then letting go are two separate actions. So therefore, by that reasoning, pulling and continuing to hold the trigger is only a single action. The government suggests that the finger uh, uh, could be replaced with a post, and and uh, nonetheless, when you're bump firing, it would continue to fire without your finger being there, and, and that's correct. The finger uh, is sitting there, and it's the trigger coming forward and hitting it that causes the, uh, the uh, weapon to fire, and that would be true if it was a post or not, but what the government doesn't mention is that you must nonetheless, even with a post there, you would continue to have to push forward, you would continue to have to pull back, uh, you may not have to contact the trigger, but you would have to have your trigger hand on the grip and pulling that back, and those actions are what mean that it is not an automatic sequence that is occurring. Furthermore, in every single one of those situations, the trigger is going to continually function multiple times. It will not be one function of the trigger, and the, and the trigger is functioning multiple times precisely because not because of the initial pull of the trigger, as in camp. It is continuing to function because of the human actions that are taking place. Uh, there was some question about whether there have been any criminal convictions, and I'm not sure that, that Judge Higginson, this answers your question, but the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the uh, Navy Marine Corps uh, Criminal Appeals overturned a conviction uh, for possession of a, a, a bump stock precisely on the grounds that we are arguing that a bump stock is not a machine gun. Uh, the, there's no question that the uh, use of a bump stock facilitates the ability of the shooter to manage the recoil of the weapon. The government seems to suggest, suggest that that is the automatic function that, that is performed and therefore that they, they satisfy the automatically uh, requirement of the statute. The fact is that a semi-automatic weapon, as its name suggests, has lots of automatic features. Among them, it will eject the cartridge that has been spent and it will put a new cartridge in for you and that is what allows for rapid firing. What it will not do is allow you with a single function of the trigger to fire more than one shot. And for that reason, uh, it is not a, a machine gun. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand how this works because the brief said you put your finger on a, a shelf that's not the trigger to start the whole thing, right? No, I think we just heard a concession from the government that that is the trigger, is the the lever trigger on a semi-automatic weapon, even when you have a bump stock. The the uh, the the pushing forward is not the trigger. I believe the government just said. But even if it were, you would still have to pull back 
But isn't the single function the pushing forward and pulling back, and until you release that, it will continue to fire? The government explained in its brief that it's possible to, if you push the gun all the way back inside the bump stock casing to begin, at that point, the trigger will not be in contact with the anywhere near the finger, and it requires a push forward to start it. That is one way you can start the firing sequence. Nonetheless, it, whether you do it that way or the more traditional way of pulling back on the trigger, uh, the government has told you today that the, the uh, trigger is the lever trigger. It is not something to do with the forehand of the rifle. Thank you very much. I think we heard it just right there when the judge said uh, one of the justices asked a question to the government's attorney, and that was, hey, you know, you mean to tell me for the last 10 years and three presidents, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms was wrong and they had it incorrectly, their definition of what a machine gun was. And you're, you're trying to say that today you want us to believe that you're right today. And that's going to be the whole thing that we're saying. You can't just change your mind, you know, for 10 years, three presidents say this is what a machine gun is and then turn around and change your mind later and turn millions of residents, millions of citizens into felons overnight. This is our argument, and we hope that we will be successful in this case. We're hoping that this case will eventually make it to the Supreme Court so that way they can overturn what the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms has actually done and make bump stocks legal. And we also hope that this will affect triggers. It'll affect, you know, SIG braces. It'll affect, you know, AR pistols. So that way we can bring those cases forward because Michael Cargill versus Merrick Garland, Department of Justice, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms will set precedents before and become the law of the land. And so we hope that we presented this case in a as just as best as we possibly can. I want to congratulate my attorneys, who I think did a wonderful job, uh, who defended uh, my position on this. Um, and the just keep in mind, the unlawful regulatory action transferred more than half a million law-abiding American citizens into presumptive felons overnight. And for that, we cannot let that stand. We have to stand and fight. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.